0: Hello and welcome to the 37th episode of the Unsigned Manager Podcast. My name is Big Squid, Shijikola Wale, and each week I take a look at football's biggest headlines, stories and events from both the past and the present, really trying to take a look at the game and understand what's going on. Now, funnily enough, this week I haven't actually been thinking too much about football, um, which isn't great for someone who writes weekly articles and post football podcasts. Also, check out the articles if you want to read and I actually just found that this podcast is on Apple Podcasts, which is kind of strange, but nice knowing it's out there, so do me a favour tell your neighbour. But there's been a few things that's been going on this week, just light stuff I want to brush over, nothing too crazy or in-depth this episode. But let's get into it. Alright, so this about six days ago from when I'm recording this, so my bad, but Liverpool and Chelsea met in the Carabao Cup Final on Sunday, last Sunday, which was a super fun game. Lots of action, big time defending, banging shootout. I don't need to go through all the details because it's likely that 95% of us watched it, but this is what I had to go away from the game. Chelsea's two-man midfield system is effective in general, but in this game I noticed N'Golo Conte is still top level, but it's tougher for him to be that groundy and all-action midfielder than he was before. After Liverpool sustained Chelsea's first wave of attacks and settled into the game, You can see Conte couldn't keep up with the pace. It's like a... In a weird cross-sport comparison, okay? It's the same thing that happened to legendary MMA fighter, the Gracie Killer, Kazushi Sakuraba. And it happens to a lot of fighting sport athletes where your reactions and anticipation are just about as good as they were before, but your body doesn't move quite as fast as it used to. You know what's happening, your mind can see it but your body can't get out of the way fast enough, so with Sakuraba, you can see that he can still dodge and get under attacks and take people down, but he wasn't as lightning fast, so someone who was very quick could catch him with Conte. you can see that his his mind is still reading the play, he knows where to go and hunt for the ball, but his legs are a step slower than they used to be, which is why you commonly found him in this game, press the ball. Just miss the interception and get taken out. Liverpool play around him, and Conte's out the game. Then that leaves Kovacic on an island, defender by himself, and Liverpool can get down the heart of the team or spray it out wide, especially to Luis Diaz. Or Conte would commit a foul because he was a split second behind the play, and he, can, he made three fouls in this game, which is a lot for Angolo Conte, and got booked for a yellow. As we saw last season in the Champions League, a uh, Champions League run up until the final. When he needs to turn it on, he is still that midfield juggernaut who can wreck your game plan. But Fabinho, Henderson, Cater could get around him when they needed to. And if Chelsea are going to stick with this 3-4-3 system, Kovacic is going to have to be a defensive maestro to support Kante if he's still going to go out and go and chase the ball. But something for Thomas Tuchel to take a look at. Um, second thing I noticed, Antonio Rudiger is still, in my opinion, still the baddest defender in the league. There's others that are technically better than him, but I think Rudiger's my first pick. If there was a draft of all the top centre-backs in the league, and every manager had to pick one, and I was one, Rudiger would be my first pick. Yes, Van Dijk and Diaz, even Laporte, arguably, are are better than him, like, technically, maybe the art of defending-wise better on the ball, but Rudiger's got a mean streak that others just don't have. Mohamed Salah is the best, I'll get on to him later, Mohamed Salah's been the best player in the league this year, arguably one of the best players in the world, if not the best player in the world this season, and he didn't have a prayer in this game, nothing, no one could, no one could change the rules of the game, or change the tactics, or change the ideas that would have stopped Rudiger ruining Salah's day. It seems like if he decides to padlock you and thinks, I need to take this guy out of the game, your manager might as well sub you off a minute one because it's just going to be long. You can't get past him. He's too smart, too physical. His feet are too quick so you can't beat him on a 1v1. He's also a great communicator and the organisation between him and Marcos Alonso really helps to lock Salah down. Like I said, if I was making a draft to who I'd pick as my key centre-back for a game, Rudiger's my first pick. And in general, in this game, the centre back play was absolutely ridiculous. Between Rudiger, Van Dijk, Thiago Silva, Trevor Chalabar, Ibrahim Okanate when he came on. This felt like a monster defensive performance from both sides. No one. This is a game of defending, not a game of attacking in this game. Very, very fun to watch. Luis Diaz, very, very good. Drivelly guy. Super agile, super quick. He seemed like a great long-term Sadio Mane replacement. They would have done it again. You need someone to replace Firmino, and the thing against Firmino, everyone judged, was the fact that he didn't score enough goals. You insert Diogo Jota, who this season has been banging them, and he can do a little bit of that creative work, and he can fill in on the wing, and he can fill in at nine, and he can fill in at false nine. Sadio Mane, looks like he's showing a little bit of a decline. He's not as good as he, as he has been in previous campaigns. In comes Luis Diaz. Very quick, very agile, direct. Centre-back and wing-back's nightmare. Liverpool's recruitment lately has been absolutely fantastic. Konate, great signing, great young defender. Thiago, obviously he's had injury problems, but when he's on, one of the best midfielders in the world. Jota. Diaz. They've got the the transfer market and recruitment on lock right now. But Diaz reminds me of like uh he's not as stocky as Eden Hazard was. He's probably a bit more like Di Maria. Very, very agile. Him and Chalaba on the left hand on Liverpool's left hand side was a fascinating battle. Also, shout out to Trevor Chalabar because unless the centre back would have got sent off or given away a pen against Diaz because He's so quick, had so many touches in the box, but Taliban matched him stride for stride. Very good defender. And now finally, I know I'm Monday morning quarterbacking, and it's easy to say this now, but Tuko, I'm not sure about swapping a keeper for a shootout. Okay? Now, he had been playing um, Kepa throughout the whole tournament. So I understand him wanting to keep loyalty to him and not just taking him out at the last minute and putting maybe in. But if you're going to do that, and you're going to have that line of thinking, in my decision, you should start Kepa and play him all game, or play Mendy all game, arguably the best keeper in the world right now. I don't think it was a bad idea to play Mendy in the game, but I don't think we should have swapped out Kepa before a shootout. You put loads of pressure on Kepa in that moment, because that is a big call and an unorthodox call, so it has to work. Or it looks awful. Kepper's not warm. He doesn't have the same psychological edge over the Liverpool players that Mendy had. Because they couldn't score against him all day. And it didn't seem like Liverpool could put a ball in the net against Mendy that game. Mane's double save. Constantly diving down to his post, Saving big headers. Yeah, there was offside goals and problems. But all in all, Mendy had a phenomenal performance. Take that six foot eight guy or whatever he is and put him in the shootout. A, he's swallowing up the goal. And B, the Liverpool players might be like, ah, oh, damn, we haven't been able to get past this guy all day and now I've got to do it on a 1v1. But as soon as Mendy went off, so did all that baggage and all that stress. And I respect the mind games and the antics, but Kepper looked like a donor at the end of the game because he was brought on, was doing loads of um, antics, staying on one side of the goal, constantly getting in people's faces, taking ages to give the ball back. Liverpool just slotted their penalties against him like it was Monday morning training and then Keppa's the one that missed. And I get it. If it would have worked and Chelsea would have won, we would have all been praising Tuchel for bringing him on. So it's not as if he's made a grave mistake here. It's one of those that looks worse because it didn't work and not because it was a awful decision. But personally, I wouldn't have made it. I always want to go my strongest eleven if possible. Second to that, can I play the guy who has been probably the best keeper in the world? He's right up there with the best of them. And he's also massive and swallows up a goal. But Thomas Tuchel can make his own decision. He's a grown adult. Um, So I'm lucky for Chelsea there. I wish I could feel bad for you. But you won the Champions League this year or this last calendar year. You don't need any more trophies. Also, your club's in a bit of a problem right now because of that problem in Europe. So, maybe a little bit of time out the limelight would be great. Shout out to Liverpool. Uh, Good performance. Great game. I wish Thiago would have played. I think that would have made it a phenomenal game. But, shout out to that. The only last thing I wanted to say was um, I thought Kai Havertz was very, very good in the 4th 9 position. But, the only thing I'm thinking is Kai Havertz was good in that position as well as having runners ahead of him. The problem with, I want Chelsea to play a two-man up front of Havertz and Lukaku because I love Romelu Lukaku. I don't think Lukaku will make as many in-behind runs as Pulisic or as a mound. He He's great going in-behind but he's not con, he's not constant like that. And you can see when Werner and Lukaku came on, Gary Neville was pointing it, every, pointing it out every two minutes. Lukaku wasn't the hardest worker, wasn't coming back on side and wasn't trying to spin in behind too much. Um, So it might be useful in bigger games, like Tuchel's done, especially against Liverpool, because their back line is quite aggressive, to play Pulisic, Havertz, Mount or Werner, because they might make more in-behind runs and catch Liverpool out. But um, yeah, that was a great game, cracking game. Also this week, Marcelo Bielsa has been asked to leave the leads dug out, if I'm being too honest, I've got to hold my hands up here, I don't have the strongest knowledge on leads and their game by game issues, I don't watch leads every week, I might catch the odds leads game either against one of my teams or against a big team to see how they act, so my fault don't kill me, but I know the highlights of the problems, they were a very good championship team who came up to the Prem and stayed up Because they had a phenomenal manager who managed to get peak fitness and pressing from his man-to-man system. So Leeds could mark out your best player in a game. I also know that they didn't sign too many players when they came up. And whilst they were in the championship, they had reached the limit of lone players that you could have in a squad. This means that the squad that they had in the Prem is mostly full of championship players but Bielsa has managed to use his system to stretch their potential and their fitness to make them worthy Premier League players. I know that two of Leeds' household name players this season have spent the large majority of their injured. Not many teams can afford to lose their best goalscorer and Patty Bamford and their best midfielder in the Yorkshire Vieira, for the, <laughs> Yorkshire Vieira is funny, for the last 13 games and still be as effective. And not even just them, Leeds have had about a trillion separate injuries this game. Every game I've watched them, some at least one or two players has come off, which is why at times their average squad age probably hasn't been old enough to drink because they've had to play loads of youth players. In January, the board went to Bielsa and asked him if he wanted to sign any players, but he didn't want to sign anyone because he feels like it takes a while to learn his system, so he'd rather just use youth players because they already know how the club works. I know that this last run of games has just been awful for them. Defensively, Leeds are a sieve. Conceded three against Villa, three against Everton, four against United, six against Liverpool, and four against Spurs. 20 goals conceded in five games. Of course, that is a tough run of fixtures right there. Other than Everton, that is four teams that can finish in the top seven like, realistically in the season, and if Everton were at it at the beginning of this year, that's five teams that could finish in the top eight. But no manager, I'm not sure anyone could survive that level of goals conceded in a a run of games. Leeds' problems might just be simple. They might just have a squad too injury-prone or too overworked to continue to play Bielsa's system season after season. And because of that, the squad has succumbed to injuries. And when you can't pay your best players, and you're not one of the best teams in the league, the best teams in the league can smash you. It can just be that simple. He also was let go, and Jesse Marsh has been appointed the new gaffer. American managers in the Prem fantasy. I haven't ever seen a manager get sacked, but everyone respects him so much afterwards. It's kind of refreshing to see someone leave a club. And it hasn't felt like one big toxic problem, like everything's been let go and now players can finally come out and say how bad it was. This is just simple, it just wasn't working out and Bielsa isn't the kind of person to change his system, so unless everyone got back to full health tomorrow, they were just going to keep spiralling. On the face of it, the change in management makes logical sense. Also refreshing, not many times do clubs make managerial changes that seem to make sense at the time that haven't A, waited too long, or B, been way, way too early. If you're the club, uh, think Andrea Rapciani, the owner, and you think to yourself, you can't really afford to go down this season. Someone might be able to come in and save this. We just need a bit of a new defensive identity right now. We change the manager? That's, that's logical. A lot of times when managers are sacked and they've been through a lot of a club, like the end of Arsene Wenger, the end of Klopp at Dortmund, Bruce at Newcastle, especially Solskjaer, the end is ugly. The fan base have gone super toxic. There's vicious booing, ridicule, the players have slyly started calling out the managers in the interview. Nuno was crying at Old Trafford and the Spurs fans were booing him relentlessly. And unless my head has been under a rock. And I have just been watching Didier Drogba Highlights all week. It doesn't seem like the players have switched off. I've heard reports of Adam Forshaw and players coming out saying that there was no animosity towards Bielsa at all. The players still would have put out for a system every single week, put out as much as they can do. But you can see it. Like, the last Leeds game I watched was the United game at Ellen Road. And for United's third goal, I think, or the first goal they scored in the second half, Junior Firpo is absolutely knackered. He just come back from an injury. He's playing this game. And in the second half, he makes a lung-busting run to join the attack. United win the ball back, and on the counter, Firpo literally cannot run anymore. He is like... You know when you're in in P and you're doing cross-country and there's someone who just hasn't got that fitness there? They're still trying, they're pushing as much as they can, but there's no running. That's what Firpo looked like. United break through and uh, they finish the chance. It's just not... It hasn't quite clicked this season. The methods plus the injuries haven't gelled and need have been pasted up and down the league. But... With all the bad stuff, it's nice to look at the good. But he also got them promoted after 16 years of not being in the top flight. Then he managed to keep them up comfortably, whilst playing a fast-paced, exciting brand of football. That first game they had back in the league at Anfield against Liverpool, I think they lost that game four-two or four-three, but Leeds were absolutely great. Clock came up before the game and said they're going to be a problem this season. We can't stop them. Leeds came through and obliterated teams, came through rapidly, so far, so so physical and aggressive that you've got to be prepared to go there. Bielsa stuck by his methods and his principles and the fans loved it. Oloko will go down as a legend and I like there wasn't any hard feelings. The bet by the board and the owners must be that Jesse Marsh can get more out of this current list of players, healthy players at least, that Bielsa can. It would have to be that, because we know Bielsa can get enough out of his squad when it's fit and healthy. So they must have thought that Leeds had a serious chance of getting relegated this season with Bielsa, and that Marsh can come in, sustain a bit more, tweak the system, maybe be a bit more defensive, and they can start climbing their way up the table. The funny thing is, Jesse Marsh's pressing principles are very similar to Marcelo Bielsa, so the Leeds players aren't going to come in and get an easier time, but... I wish them every luck, because even though I watch them every week, they always produce top-quality content when I do, whether they're scoring goals or they're conceding. <laughs> All right, last thing I wanted to touch on this week um, is Player of the Year. Now, we're coming towards the business end of the season. I think this is Game Week 30? Game Week 29? Something like that. So, we're not too far from the end of the season. We can fairly judge most people's campaigns. Obviously, there's room to manoeuvre. Eight games is a lot of games, so they might someone might go on a tear. But we can start seeing what awards are going to take shape. I don't know if it's just me, but it hasn't felt like there's been many standout players this season. Slightly feel like the quality has fallen off from previous years because all the team performances have been good, but individual performances haven't been too hot. For example, Kevin De Bruyne, one of the best players in the league. This is a guy that, when he's fully fit, you can count on him being right up there as a contender for Player of the Year. Probably looking at ten to fifteen goals, twelve to eighteen assists, playing maybe thirty-six, thirty-seven games when he's fully fit all season. Dominant on the ball, off the ball. Technical ability is through the roof. He's a jurassal boner of a midfielder, but this year has been a solid step backwards in his effectiveness. He doesn't seem to be the ultimate creative. Player for that team anymore, with the ball moving out to Joao Cancelo and Bernardo Silva and Riyad Mahrez. Obviously, it's harder for Man City players because the quality of that squad means that they rotate top level players every week, but the Bruyne hasn't been as hot as normal. On the other side of Manchester, Bruno Fernandes looked like he was going to be the perennial winner of the Player of the Season award because he ticks all the boxes. He plays for a major market team in the sexiest position on the pitch. And he puts up numbers, serious numbers. The guys like an abacus. But this year, United have stuttered an attack, and Bruno has suffered because of number seven being there. For being honest, but it's been hard for him to hit the ground running. It felt like he could be a 15 to 18 goal a season player, 10 to 12 assists, looking like your Steven Gerrard 2.0. But it hasn't been great. Big money mover, Romelu Lukaku. Ugh hasn't hit the ground running and with what five, six, seven goals in the league and a big interview, it's not like he's got the voters excited. Players further down the league have also been effective. Fantasy football favourite Emmanuel Dennis has shown in his debut season he's been good. Conor Gallagher has been fantastic early for Crystal Palace, but he sustained a big injury. And if you put on any random Newcastle game, you might think Alain Saint Maximin is the best player in the world, but for real contenders player this season I think it might just be down to four players number one of course he's number one is Mohamed Salah he's been the most effective player in the league consistently dangerous season after season since coming to the league in 2017 this year he's played 24 games 19 goals and 10 assists 29 goal involvement in 24 games and he went to AFCON for a month logging heavy minutes over there Whenever Liverpool been in a tight spot, when Jota got injured, when Mane was in a dry spell before Luis Diaz joined, when Firmino was injured, Salah took the creative burden. He's got several more goals than Jota, same assist Trent, one more than Robertson. He's the number one threat. It's getting a bit boring now, Mohamed. I want goals from the halfway line or to score. Hat tricks only with your right foot, or do something crazy because right now you're just racking up goals. But uh, I want a little bit extra. <laughs> Next is got to be Bernardo Silva, stepped up after being sidelined. Why does Pep do this? This is my big question. Every season, okay, we get on to Jose Mourinho because every club he goes to, he decides there's one player he's gonna give a long day to. At Chelsea, at some point, it was Waimata. At United, he did it to Martial. At Spurs, he had Undombele training in a public park by himself. But Pep does the same thing. Pep takes a Manchester City player every season and decides he's not playing. He did it to the Port and Silva last season. He did it to Raheem Sterling at the beginning of this season. What's going on? Bernardo, in the... In the what? 16, 17 season, whatever was David Silva's last season, Bernardo Silva was one of the best players in the league. He was phenomenal. The next season after that, he was great. Then Pep decided to not play him at all. He was going to get shipped off to Arsenal. And now he's back this year, arguably been one of the best players in the league. He, he might be the best person in the Premier League when he's in a tight corner. You can't get the ball from him. It doesn't matter how many people are going to try and win it from him. Bernardo Silva can worm out of any spot on the pitch with the football. He's been so instrumental to City's attack. Balancing the, the midfield and being the more attacking player out of him, Gundogan and Rodri, especially when De Bruyne plays in that front line with Sterling and Mares or Phil Foden. Seven goals and one assist from midfield. Probably been the best player in a team that will win the league this year. Bernardo Silva's been phenomenal. Right up there is the best midfielder in the league. Liverpool got two players in this. Diogo Jota has been great. Now, Jota's case is hard because he will almost always be outshined by Mo Salah. But he had a hot first season at Liverpool just before his injury. He was great. This year, Mane has dropped off a little bit. Firmino is taking a big step back in productivity. Salah and Mane went to AFCON. Someone's got to score goals. I think I even did a podcast episode wondering who the hell was going to score goals for Liverpool. Diogo has 12 goals this season. And one assist just in the league. Really stepped up and replaced Bobby Firmino. The thing that everyone had a problem with with Firmino was that. Yeah, he was a great creator and he facilitated for Salah Romani. But he never chipped him with enough of his own. You couldn't call him Thomas Muller. Because Thomas Muller himself can still get 10 to 15 a season. Firmino might chip him with 7 or 8. But. Jota can fill in both roles. Yeah, he can create and facilitate. He can also be a clinical finisher. And if he needs to, he can play wide and allow Mane or Firmino whatever to play in the middle. He was Liverpool's lifeline during AFCON. The game that really annoyed me is the Carlin Cup second leg against Arsenal. Obviously, that wasn't in the Prem, but Jota was, was. That second goal, Trent's pass. Shot on a full run, takes it down on his chest and still thinks Ramsdale was nasty. Um, yeah, he's been right up there. Great, great signing, great recruitment. Um, to pick a defender, obviously Trent Robertson have been great. I'm going with the guy I talked about earlier, Antonio Rudiger. Um, Chelsea haven't had the campaign I think they thought they were going to have. I assume most Chelsea players and fans thought they'd be right up there for the league this year. But Rudiger's as centre back has been phenomenal. That guy is an attacking threat from corners. He's a great passer, great distributor, and then defensively, if if he's the man on your side, you're in for a long day. I think if I was a manager, I would have, i put my weaker winger on Rudiger's wing and just funnel the ball the other side because whoever plays on the right hand side of Chelsea's defence is not as good as who's ever on the left hand side. I might just do that because Rudiger is too strong. This season, all campaign, he's been great. Chelsea have been a bit... dicey defensively at points when Chilwell went out, when James went out, but Rudiger's been strong, consistent. Same with Edouard Mendy. Um, but yeah, it does feel a bit weird. Normally, it feels like we have three or four serious contenders, but even in the list I've named there, I'd be surprised if Mo Salah didn't win. He's been far and away the best player in the league. And these other guys have been good. But Salah's just been different level. Um, Yeah, I don't know what's going on. But Man City have just been doing it by committee. Jack Grealish probably. I thought he might have a hotter season than he's had. But £100 million definitely hasn't, hasn't yet redeemed that price tag. Maybe next season. Takes him a year to bed in. Maybe next year he's better. But... But yeah, long live Mo Salah. That's all I wanted to cover for this week's episode. Much appreciated for all the support, all the listens. Episode 37, crazy. 37 times I've recorded a podcast in my bedroom, in a shed, in a garden, in a garage. (laughs) Done in like a trio in places. Um, It's just mad, isn't it? But much appreciated for all the support, all the shares, all the listens, all everything. Um, check out the YouTube channel where these podcasts go. Check out the articles. Check out the blog. Um, check out the Instagram page. Whatever, all the links will be below somewhere. Tell your mum. Tell your neighbour. Tell your granddad. Tell the guy who cuts on your trees. Um, I'll see you guys next week. Peace.